Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I used my texting account yesterday to ask if people were as confused about the ballot as the New York Times was trying to say Ohioans are. New York Times always wants to paint Ohioans like hayseeds. And I got nearly 300 responses from people, not necessarily saying they're confused, but they know people are confused. And what really came through is people are very angry with Frank LaRose because he changed the language on the ballot from what had been signed. One person said, my neighbor came and said, hey, this isn't what we signed, right? And this person had to explain to their neighbor that the evil Frank Rose and trying to kill the abortion amendment put in sleazy language. So we are going to do more to make clear how people should vote based on their wishes. Appreciate the tidal wave of responses. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer for a Friday. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. I'm glad we did this thing about the confusion because to get that kind of a response says there's a great deal of anxiety in the air. We do have a billboard that'll be on the Sunday front page and on our website Tuesday that makes it crystal clear. Right, Laura? Yep. That's the plan. Yep. So we will help people do it. I even heard from the former prosecutor who put away all those people in the county uh, corruption scandal. She's been knocking on doors and she said that confusion is out there. People are not sure how to vote. Thanks to our secretary of state, he's supposed to preserve the sanctity of elections and he's trying to confuse everybody. But you know what's cool? People get it. His name is Mud. They all understand that he has done everything political and nothing according to his duty. Let's get going on stories. What's the latest idea from Bernie Marino, candidate for U.S. Senate in Ohio, one that actually could be viewed as a declaration of war on a neighbor? Is this the kind of thinking Ohioans want from a senator? Is this the kind of thing we're going to see nonstop for the next 12 months? Laura. Yes, I think we will see a lot of red meat being thrown out, at least until the primary. And that's it, this does feel like red meat, the kind of thing that's easy to throw out, but really not realistic to execute. So this was a U.S. Senate, can- US Senate candidate forum in Medina. That's where Secretary of State Frank LaRose said that the U.S. government should declare the various drug cartels in Mexico as foreign terrorist organizations. And then Businessman Bernie Moreno, also vying for that Senate job, took it a step further, saying he wanted to back sending in the U.S. military to wipe the drug cartels off the face of the earth. He does say he wants the Mexican government's approval before we do this, but that language doesn't sound like really conciliatory. Um, J.D. Vance has already endorsed this idea on a national TV interview in July. It's common policy position from a lot of candidates that want Trump. Uh, well, actually, a lot of president, candidates who want to beat Trump in the 2024 GOP presidential nominations. Even Joe Biden has talked about or thought about designating these cartels as terrorist groups. But that does not mean you can send military into another country. And all the experts that Andrew Tobias talked to said this is impossible. You might declare them terrorists 
there's some pros and cons we can talk about on that, but there's no way you're going to storm the Mexican border. Look, the, the, the declaring of terrorists or not is the side issue. We have a candidate, one of three in the Republican Party for the U.S. Senate, who's calling for an invasion of a neighbor. That That is dangerous. It's preposterous. You can't do it. You cannot send an army across the border. That's an invasion. And it's a hostile, hostile act with our neighbor. Candidates should know better. This is complete nonsense coming from a candidate for the U.S. Senate. It ought to just knock him right out of the running. If you are going to be that irresponsible in what you say, you should be X'd out. You should just not be considered because you're not being responsible about what you're saying. I like that idea that anybody who says anything completely horrendously irresponsible should not be allowed to run for office. Like, I think we should make that blanket uh, this statement. Is, this is dangerous, though. I mean, you said red meat. There are people that are going, yeah, let's you're do right. it. No, and you're right. And, you just, and look what happened the last time someone was like, hey, we should take back the Capitol. I mean, it's not like these exactly. people are not easily led. Bernie Moreno said he doesn't want to send in the military without leaders permission, but that's not what the rhetoric sounds like. And he also said he thinks he can talk Mexico into it through a mix of economic pressure and persuasion because he thinks he's really good. Obviously, he he is good at business. He made millions of dollars and he is He made millions of dollars selling cars. Right. That's (laughs) way different than negotiating diplomacy, which he is showing he has no ability to do. And he's saying, you know, that because he's from South America and and has similar cultural background, he'll have an in here. But Mexico is like our largest trade partner. People, I mean, they make appliances there. We get fruit and produce from there. I mean, it's crazy. It is crazy. You do not do this with your neighbors. And, And for a candidate for the U.S. Senate, to say something like that, it, it, Laura, I think you were right on the money. This is like when Trump exhorted people to overthrow the government on January 6th. These things matter, and our political leaders should have a measured approach to what they say. It shouldn't be this kind of red meat nonsense to tickle the fringes of the party. Shame on Bernie for going down this road, but it's not really surprising. If you looked at his campaign ads before his last campaign blew up, they were terrible. Right. He just he says ridiculous things. He's over the top, not a serious person and whatsoever. It's not just about fighting drugs, right? This there's a like an immigrant issue here and it's just it is playing to the base. You look, stand him next to Matt Dolan. Whether you agree with Matt Dolan's politics or not, he he doesn't say ridiculous things like this. He understands that when you're a leader, you've got to have the right way to approach topics. Bernie Moreno clearly and does he's not been, get that. you know, Matt Dolan's been a politician for many years. Like Bernie Moreno has branded himself the outsider. That's who he wants to be. It's right. Scary. He's bringing a car salesman's mentality <laughs> to diplomacy. <laughs> not really what we want to see. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The popularity of early voting means a lot of Cuyahoga County residents have made the trek to the Board of Elections office in Cleveland, and it's not ideal. This election, they're not even letting people park on the site. You got to go find a street spot or a lot nearby. Layla, does it look like they understand that they're not in a great place and they're going to move? It does. The board is looking to move because, you know, as you said, their existing space in the Robert Hughes building in Euclid has almost no parking. They have only 48 parking spaces there. And they direct voters to use lots that are about a block away because they try to reserve those on-site spaces for handicap parking. 
by comparison, you know, their counterparts in other counties have way more available parking. Franklin, uh, Franklin County's Board of Elections has 500 spots and Summit has 200. On top of all that, the square footage of this building is pretty inadequate. The administrative operations are split between two buildings at the moment. And when voters come to cast ballots, lines are often stretched outside the building and they can they can, that happens in poor weather around here. So Anthony Perlotti, the director of the Board of Elections, wants to be able to queue those lines indoors. He said people shouldn't have to face these obstacles just to exercise their right to vote. So they put up this, this request for proposals months ago, and they got seven responses from companies that are interested in, in you know ha- hosting the new home of the Board of Elections. And the plan was to, to be in their new headquarters by January 1st. So two months from now. But the county hasn't even scored these proposals yet. And it's really unclear what the holdup is. But Wait, really? Is, is, really? You're, you're it, confused? It's the county. <laughs> these people don't do anything well, in a timely manner. I know. It, uh, this It's been months that they've been sitting on this. And Perlotti is really hoping that they will at least get the ball rolling so they can be settled into their new digs by the presidential election next fall, if not sooner. We don't know the buildings, but there's right. one intriguing possibility. The there owner is, of our yeah. former building is in the running. <laughs> That's right. right, right. Of the seven companies that submitted these proposals, the one that really piqued our interest was Industrial Properties slash Cleveland Superior LLC. Industrial Properties owns a bunch of potential sites in Cuyahoga County, but Cleveland Superior LLC only owns one. And that's our former plain dealer building at 1801 Superior Avenue. So it is it is definitely looking like that is one of the the options on the table. And it's a, it's a terrific building, mm-hmm. right? It's if we can perfect. sell it, it has t- <laughs> right now, if we can get, sell the idea of this place, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful facility, plenty of space for people to stand indoors while they wait and to park. vote. There's lots of Park. parking. Mm-hmm. Lots of parking, a whole garage of parking. And actually so. that the area where the newsroom was, because it has the incredibly high ceiling and the giant windows, it's kind of a cheerful, sunny place, mm-hmm. which is it the is. disposition you'd want for people when they're going to cast their ballots and be part of the citizenry. So that one seems like a winner. I don't know that there's any place else downtown that would have adequate parking like that site does. So that's true. Let's hope the county council gets off its butts and does some work. I What's sad is they did this in time to get this ready for next year's primary. They, they did right. it right. And our government, once again, God, the county government, it just fails in every way you can imagine over and over and over again. Here's another example of them not doing their job. It's today in Ohio. Retail is not one of the highlights of downtown Cleveland, but there's a plan developing to change that one that's a little bit edgy. Lisa, what does it entail and who's behind it? Yeah, the group is called Downtown Cleveland Incorporated, and they have a new plan to attract small businesses to downtown. They created what's called a downtown retail strategy, which they unveiled yesterday at the State of Downtown event at the City Club. So they spent some time looking into the market dynamics and the retail economy of downtown to devise their plan. So they want to focus on small and minority businesses, and some of their ideas include a pop-up vendor market that would just, you know, as you know, they just pop up and several vendors, you know, are selling their stuff locally. They also want to invest in downtown public facilities, create improved navigation for both visitors and residents to get through downtown, better lakefront connections, and they want to improve the diversity of downtown residents as well. 
I, I loved a lot of these ideas. It seemed like it's the kind of thing that that people would want to check out, right? That's what you want with downtown mm-hmm. retail, something that's interesting that might draw people in. And this has that feel to it. It does. And I think coupled with things that are going on at Tower City, because they're starting to fill up vacancies there, you know, because our retail really got hollowed out. And that was well before the pandemic downtown. So this is, this. I hope it does spur, you know, interest and visitation. You're trying to get more people walking on the sidewalks downtown post-pandemic. Cleveland has not fared as well as other cities. This could be one of the strategies to do that. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This was gross when it broke some time ago, but at least now we have some closure. Laura, what was the source of the feces-smeared letters that were sent to a bunch of politicians, including Jim Jordan? This is Richard Steinle. He's 78 from Mogador, and he pleaded guilty in federal court to seven misdemeanor counts of sending this injurious material to the U.S. mail. He's a former Portage County Common Pleas Court mediator, and he's, when he sentenced in March, going to face uh, uh, $100,000 for each charge and probation to six months in prison. So he said his mental health was not excellent. He's been treated for severe depression since 2013. But he's sent letters to dozens of legislators, including Jim Jordan, 25 Republicans in the Ohio Senate. And they sent the letters between August of 2021 and July 2022. Undercover postal inspectors watched him mail a feces-laden card with a dollar bill to Jordan's office. He also sent letters to Ohio senators with words like pig and racist, and he evoked former President Donald Trump. The The problem, of course, is the, the polarization in our country is as bad as it's ever been, in part because people like Jordan and, as we discussed earlier, Bernie Moreno mm-hmm. make outrageous statements that get people exercised. So they do things like this, which is breaking the law. Odd that he's saying that He's been suffering with mental health issues. I would think the minute you go to put feces in the mail, you would recognize this is something wrong. But but it is, I think, an indication of what some people in the population are triggered by the horrible rhetoric. And Jim Jordan is one of the worst for the horrible rhetoric. Yeah, obviously, this is taking it a step really too far. He lost his job in 2017 after holding it for tw- for 17 years. So I think there is some issue. I don't think most people think that this is how they want to get their point across. No, it's gross and it's against the law. I mean, he's going to pay the price for breaking the law. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, what is Turo, which operates at the Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? And how is Cleveland planning to start getting some revenue from the service? And I have to say, until I read this story, I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it either. Turo, though, is a company that arranges what's known as peer-to-peer vehicle sharing. That The concept here is that, you know, perhaps you're leaving town for a week and no one needs your car in your household while you're gone. So Maybe you decide to make a little money by renting your car to someone while you're gone. It's like an Airbnb for cars. And it's a way to get around rental car companies, especially, you know, during the pandemic when we saw all those shortages of rental cars, this this uh, this business really boomed. Anyway, airports have become a hub for these transactions for obvious reasons. That's where travelers come and go. 
And Courtney Astolfi noted in her story that at Hopkins, 88 vehicles were listed as available for rent for this coming weekend. So it's a pretty popular option. And more and more airports are catching on to this across the country and realizing that they can and should be getting a cut of profits for allowing these transactions to take place on airport grounds, similar to the fees that they charge for Uber and Lyft to operate at airports. So this week, the Board of Control agreed to levy a 10% fee for use of Turo services at the airport. And they think it'll bring in a few hundred thousand dollars each year. So not a ton of money, but, you know, sounds like a fair fair cut of the profit. I had no idea this was going on out at the airport. I didn't realize that people would want to do this and that it was happening that regularly. I guess with the dearth of parking out there, it's a natural kind of result. What I don't quite understand, and Courtney was trying to uh, trying to unravel this yesterday, is how exactly the vehicles are handed off from the owner to the renter. Because the Turo website says that renters can use a remote lock service on their cell phone for vehicles that have that feature, or the owner can physically hand off the keys. But I assume most cars are not remote entry. Mine, Mine isn't. isn't. I, yeah, and, and the logistics of making sure the owner is there to hand off the key is, is probably impossible, I would assume, because the owner is probably on a plane headed elsewhere by the time the renter shows up. So what are they doing? Are they stashing the key in the wheel well or something? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that is very, very problematic from a security standpoint because the city is considering making Toro vehicles display a special sticker. Mm. So it's like... How about we just gift wrap the keys for car thieves and leave them, <laughs> leave them on the windshield? And we have had a car theft problem out at the airport. So That's it right. Just would exacerbate it. So I think if they start to force these cars to have the sticker designation, and if indeed that's how they're leaving the keys someplace hidden around the vehicle for the next person to pick up, I, I just I haven't seen a, an answer anywhere on the web to that question. I don't have a problem with the city getting fees from this. People are using the public property, the airport, to generate yeah, some yeah. revenue. And so the city should get a fee out of that, just like they get from cab companies and anybody else that's transacting business out there. I just, this is a business model that I wouldn't have thought would be successful for many of the reasons you just discussed, but it is. The, the solution to, to what I brought up, though, would probably be to have you know, a designated area, a desk or something near the rental cars or whatever, where people can leave their car keys for the for the Turo service. If the airport is collecting 10%, they should at least provide that, right? Well, then like they'd a secure charge 15%. place to exchange the, the keys. <laughs> What's that? They would charge 15% then. They, yeah, want right. their, they don't want to take that out of their end. Interesting, <laughs> interesting story, interesting strategy. And I'm Surprised that Cleveland had figured out this was going on. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Yesterday, we talked about a jail guard who died at the Cuyahoga County lockup and a lawsuit accusing the county of causing that death. Today, we have another jail lawsuit, this time about an inmate who died and whose family says Metro Health killed him. Lisa, what does this lawsuit allege? Yeah, this wrongful death suit was filed in Cleveland Federal Court this week on, for, uh, on behalf of county jail inmate and South Euclid resident Mark Turner. He became unconscious in his cell on November 1st of 2022 and later died at Metro Health Hospital. He was actually one of two inmates who died the same day. The lawsuit accuses Metro Health and jail medical director Dr. Joseph Baskin of negligence. They said that, you know, they gave him a four-drug combo 
combo that requires close monitoring due to its life-threatening side effects, including suppression of the central nervous and respiratory systems. Uh, The medical examiner's report on Turner ruled that the cause of death was acute intoxication from the prescribed drugs at the jail. So Turner was jailed on October 28th of 2022 on parole violation, public indecency, and obstructing official business. And then three days later, he was dead. If it's true, it, it's a really ugly mark against Metro, which came into the jail during the scandal of lots of jail deaths to take over medical services. So this was heralded as a big solution. And if they have somehow provided a concoction of drugs that led to his death without monitoring that really raises questions about Metro's role at the jail. And can you imagine? I mean, these are fairly minor offenses that he was put in jail for. And I don't know what his bail situation was, but, you know, he he only lasted three days. And I don't know what the medical, you know, they didn't say what the medical situation was that, that caused him to be prescribed these drugs, though. And again, these are allegations in a lawsuit, and the courts will reconcile the claims, and we'll see how it ends up. These often end in settlements, and we never get satisfying answers about what actually happened. In this case, I think the public is owed the explanation. It's a public hospital. I guess because it's a public hospital, the settlement would become public. You're listening to Today in Ohio. If you've talked to Laura Johnston any time lately, you've probably heard her mention the Never Enough book. She has been finding all sorts of parallels in daily life, the points the author makes. So Laura interviewed the author for more insights. Laura, what did you learn? So this is Never Enough, When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. And it's by journalist Jennifer Braheny Wallace, who is an Upper East Side of Manhattan mom of three, who really wanted to look into this high achievement culture where kids are getting super stressed out, really anxious, and could be depressed, have lots of mental illnesses because they are so focused on getting into the specific right college. And she wanted to know how kids can buffer that, basically. And what she found out is that mattering is the important thing here. And mattering is the idea that you feel valued for who you are at your core, not just what you can achieve, and that you are adding value to the world at large. So when you do things for the community and you feel it being accepted and reciprocated, then you feel like a vital member of that community. It happens in your family, happens in the community, your school district, so that you're not just a kid who's just aiming for this gold star at the end of a college acceptance. You're a more well-rounded human being who is interacting with others and realizes that the admission is not the be-all, end-all. And I do think there are a lot of ideas that we can take to the larger world outside of high school. And actually, Wallace is working on an an adult mattering book next. I think it's all about adding value to other people. And that's one thing we lack in this world. And that's why we're so siloed and the polarization and the loneliness epidemic are just skyrocketing. One of the big takeaways, it was down at the end of your piece, is she hates U.S. News and World Report college rankings, hates them. Yeah, absolutely. Because what she said is it's faux scientific, this idea that I can compare all the colleges in the country and tell you which is best. And then there are parents that think, 
and they're really well-meaning, right? They, it's such an uncertain world. Inflation is so high. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. They think if their kid gets into the best college, that they can set them up for success in life. The thing is, it's not about getting into Harvard or Princeton or MIT. The idea is you need to find a college that is the best fit for you, one where you can matter to the community and people take an interest in you, that you have relationships with professors, that you have extra curriculars and internships. And that all the studies show that midlife success is not really based on where your degree is from. And some of these kids make themselves so sick just trying to get into that best school by loading up their schedule with, you know, to just boost their resume that they get to college and drop out because they, they just, they're not healthy people. She said she did throw research. a thought in here as you were talking, Lori, it made I, something occurred to me that it feels though like Getting into some of those elite schools requires mattering. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. In a way that almost makes some like community service a requirement. Kids are kind of forced into some of those things. It's just to put them on their resume to stand out. How do you grapple with that I, when it's like it's it the you know it's not an organic kind of um, you know situation when kids are are feeling like, well, I have to get right. so many or they're in key community club, service right? hours or join. Or we were just talking the other day about some schools that create classes around certain community service because that's the only way they'll for, they'll force it into their their schedule. I believe St. Um, Ignatius does something like that. And what she said is there's it's there's still a benefit. Even if you're like, I'm ticking the box, I have to do my community service for my confirmation or my key club or my National Honor Society. There's still some benefit. But when you mm -hmm. are making the connection and you're doing it yourself and seeing the results rather than showing up for an hour somewhere, what you know, sorting cans or whatever, and then you leave, that's not as organic. It's not as meaningful. And I agree mm -hmm. with you that... Uh, some of this does go together, right? You could be adding value to your community and that could make you a standout for a great college. The problem is when you're doing it just for the college application. Right, and she right. talks about her sixth grader. She was trying to find his passion because you have to have a passion point to write about for to get into these colleges. You want to differentiate yourselves. And she's trying to get her sixth grader into like a college level architecture class. And he was like, mom, stop wrecking the thing that I love. Like, I just want to <laughs> like it. I don't want to have to take a class in it. Okay, and her research included some time with Cleveland. You're listening to Today in Ohio. A bunch of local police departments received grants this week to hire more cops. Layla, the problem isn't the money, though. The problem is they can't find any candidates. How does this help? Yes. It's, yeah. So 394 police agencies around the country were awarded these federal hiring grants this week. And this will allow for the hiring of more than 1,700 entry-level police officers nationwide. Here in Northeast Ohio, some of that money went to Cleveland, Euclid, Middleburg Heights, and the Summit County Sheriff's Office. Cleveland police will get $3.75 million that they can use to hire 30 police officers. And the other Northeast Ohio communities that I mentioned will get enough to hire between one and four officers. But, you know, as the, as you mentioned, Chris, the conundrum here is whether these departments can recruit <laughs> because policing in recent years has really fallen out of favor with a lot of young people as a potential career path. For one, it's it's an extremely dangerous job. But also many young people don't view cops as community heroes anymore 
but rather is occupying forces in major cities. And and that sentiment is really high among communities of color that have been at the heart of high-profile deadly force cases. And, and you know, in most of the communities we are talking about who are receiving the grants, they're they're only going to get enough to hire a couple cops with that money. And that sh- shouldn't be a problem in, in terms of recruitment. But in Cleveland, they've had a hell of a time filling out the academy. Well, this past year, we saw one academy class with just nine recruits. They used to run academies with more than 100. So, so you know, are they going to get how long will it take to to hire these 30 cops? Well, the pro- I mean, they cut their budget because they couldn't fill the positions. They thought, well, why do we keep funding these positions? We can't. It wasn't a money issue. I, the federal government could do a lot more if they were if they would work maybe with people retiring from the military to encourage them to go be police or something. Getting us the candidates would be a whole lot more valuable than throwing money at the problem. It's not money that we need. It's, It's responsible, professional people who will come in and respect the community and do the policing. So... It was it was an odd one yesterday, all the money. And it's like, okay, are you paying attention, Washington? Money hasn't been the issue. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Lisa, tonight is the first time people will be able to sit at home and watch the induction ceremony for Cleveland's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame if they pay for Disney+. Plus. The Rock Hall opened its induction exhibit Thursday. It's a big day every year because all the people getting in have all sorts of stuff that you can go and see what is featured in the latest exhibit. Yeah, this exhibit opened yesterday at the Rock Hall of Fame downtown. And, um, you know, the 38th induction ceremony, as you said, is tonight at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So the inductee exhibit um, includes artifacts from the current class. It includes uh, rapper Missy Elliott's headpiece from the Supa Dupa Fly video, one of Will- Willie Nelson's probably hundreds and thousands of bandanas. And Bernie Taupin, who is Elton John's songwriter, it includes his original Your Song lyrics and a police uniform from George Michael's live performances of the song Outside. Lots of people confirmed to perform. We might see some more on the list tonight, including uh, the performers tonight is Queen Latifah, Sia, Common, Dave Matthews, her, Ice-T, Elton John, and Stevie Nicks, and many more to come, possibly. And as you said, it will be broadcast live on Disney+, Plus, but it will be available for on-demand streaming immediately after the ceremony ends. And then if you can wait until New Year's Day, the ABC network will be having like a performances and highlights special on New Year's Day. Watching this with another screen is kind of the ideal way to do it. Cause anybody that's been to one of these ceremonies knows they're interminable mm-hmm. with cool highlights. So if you have it on, you can pick up on the highlights while you're using the time in between to do something else. It's kind of the perfect, the perfect situation to, to not miss the moments in real time. There are always are some very interesting moments that occur in these ceremonies. There are. And the one thing, I was at the Rock Hall a couple of times this year, and, you know, they do have a movie theater where they show clips of, like, the best performances from past, um, you know, past ceremonies. So I don't know how long those take to get into the museum, but that's a nice way to see it as well. It is indeed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That closes out the week. Good way to close out the week with the discussion of our famous rock call. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening. We will return Monday, Election Eve, finally, for another discussion of the news. 